Hi to Ngabia Baptist Church. I'm thankful to be reading God's word to you today. For those who don't know me, uh, my name is Israel and I lead the music ministry. If you'd like to gather your Bibles, I'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 13 onwards. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed what was but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, and all the deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that it, so by it you, you may grow up in salvation, now that you have tasted the Lord is good. Hey Turn Gabby Baptist, it's Pastor James. I'm excited to be continuing this series in 1 Peter. I'm going to open up God's words today for us as we think about the living hope we have. Maybe you feel like you're a stranger living in strange times. Well, let's pray as we come to God's word today. Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks. We want to praise you that your word is true, that your word is imperishable, and yet we are perishable. Father God, I ask that you do a powerful work in our lives today. May your Holy Spirit work in us, convict us, apply the beauty and the wonder of the gospel to our lives. And Father, I pray that we will crave your character more and more each day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jim Stockdale found himself in a, in a prisoner of war camp during the, the height of the Vietnam War. During that time, he was imprisoned for eight years. During those eight years, he was tortured over 20 times. During those eight years, he had no identity. He had no rights. 
He had no release date. And yet Jim Stockdale set out as a commander, he set out to ensure that he would do whatever he could to ensure that he could get as many men home. Decades later, in a book called Good to Great, um, Jim Collins is writing about businesses. He, he interviews Jim Stockdale. He interviews him because he wants to know on, he wants to know was, how did you, Jim? Jim, how did you deal with all the suffering? How did you deal with all the torture? How did you deal with all the trials and the pain when you did not know the end of the story? Have a listen to these words of Jim Stockdale. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted, not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into a defining event in my life, which, in retrospect, I would not trade. I never lost faith in the end of the story. Knowing the end shaped his actions. Knowing the end shaped his actions in that prisoner of war camp. Knowing the end of the story shapes our actions today. Knowing the end of the story shapes our actions today. Last week we kicked off our sermon series in 1 Peter chapter 1. And in the opening verses we see that the Apostle Peter, he's writing to Christians, Gentile and Jewish Christians, who feel like they're on the margins of society. They feel like they are exiles. They are exiles. They, they, they know they don't fit in. They know that the, the, the culture around them is, is different. They feel on the outer. They know it. That the way they live as they follow Jesus is different to the pagan culture around them. And they're trying to work out what does it mean for us to live as foreigners? Or in another way, what does it mean to live as refugees? See, a refugee isn't at home. A refugee is just working out how to live in that place as they travel through. Now imagine, imagine if I moved to America. Now it'd be pretty obvious I'd stand out. As soon as I spoke and said, G'day mate, the Americans, they'd know exactly that I'm an Aussie. And I would sort of feel like I don't fit in. Imagine if I went to Germany and I started to speak and I couldn't speak Germany. I would know that I don't fit in. But what happens as followers of Jesus, as, as we, we live in this world, as strangers passing through, as we live in this, in this world, we, we know we're going to suffer. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to, uh, we're going to be pushed to the edges and the margins of society because we follow Jesus. And at last week I mentioned there's two things we can do. We can either compromise and go, we'll just start living like culture and take on everything that they do and we compromise, or the other one, we can bemoan and we can grumble and complain about how, oh, woe is me, how bad is this world? But both mean we've forgotten something. See, last week we saw that we are to, re to remember who we are. But not only are we to remember our identity, but we're also to remember what we have in Christ Jesus. See, knowing the end of the story shapes your actions today. I wonder over the last six months, how have you responded to the situations and the circumstances you found yourself in? 
Has it revealed that you know the end of the story? Or has it revealed that you've forgotten something about the end of the story? As you come to sit the HSC in the coming weeks, a year that has been turned upside down, you can sit those exams with hope because you know the end of the story. If your boyfriend dumps you and your relationship's in a mess this week, or maybe you feel lonely because you've never married, you have hope because you know the end of the story. See, knowing the end of the story, it actually shapes your actions today. As you sit in the doctor's surgery, as you await the, the, the results of the skin cancers that are on your, on your head, knowing the end of the story will affect and shape the words that you choose to use and, and the way that you act. See, knowing the end of the story will affect the words and the actions and the decisions you make during COVID lockdown and restrictions. See, knowing the end of the story shapes our actions today. See, we have a living hope. Last week we saw we have a, a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus and that changes our life drastically. Because see, real hope leads to action. See, in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of our trials, in the middle of, of being feeling like we're on the margins of society, when our hope is in Jesus, it's going to shape our actions today. What happens when our hope is in Jesus? Well, we're going to see four things today. It's going to, we're going to see that it's going to be deliberate action. See, knowing the end of the story shapes our actions today. It means we are deliberate in our actions. As followers of Jesus, we're not, we're not to focus on particular trials we are, we, that we are in, but we are to focus our attention and have our full devotion on Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 13. Therefore, with your minds that are alert. Now, the therefore tells you, therefore, in light of last week. Therefore, in light of who you are. Therefore, in light of what you have. Therefore... With your minds that are alert, or another way is prepare your minds for action, that, that are alert and fully sober. Set your hope on the grace that is to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your heart fully. See, it's not set your heart. He, he could have just said set your heart on the return of Jesus Christ. Set your heart on your living hope. But he says set your heart fully on that hope. Now the NIV doesn't quite have the fully there, but, but it's, it's in the original, it's, it's set your hope fully. So it's not that you have 20% on Jesus and 80% on your retirement fund. It's not that it's sort of, yeah, I'm sort of in with Jesus 80% and the other 20% during the week is, is it's going to look like this. Some of you want Jesus, but you also want other things. You come on a Sunday, sing a few songs, and there's your hope for the week. And then you leave, and during the rest of the week, your work, your study, your, your kids consume your thoughts, your mind. And because that consumes your thoughts, it drives your actions for today. But how do we place our hope fully? Do you notice that? Place your hope fully in Jesus. Well, it's deliberate 
action. And there's these two images that he uses. The first one is it's, it's gird your loins. Did you notice that it says, with minds that are alert. Now, literally, it means to gird up your loins. Like you think, what does gird up your loins mean? I, I reckon it's pretty cool, right? I think gird up your loins is a pretty cool expression. You know, imagine next time we're down at the park, and I say to someone, hey, gird up your loins. Oh, I think it sounds cool, but probably people aren't going to know what that means. But what does it mean to gird up your loins? Well, I, you know, I've grown up in a, you know, in a Baptist church most of my life, and we used to have Sunday school picnics. And on a Sunday school picnic, you'd have the egg race, you'd have the running race, and you'd have the sack race, or the potato sack race. And the idea of the potato sack race is you put both your legs in the potato sack, and you start at the line and you have a race. Now, when your legs are in a potato sack, guess what happens? You can't run. You're not ready for the battle. You're not ready to run. And so what you would want to do is you either cut the bottom out of it, or if you wanted to cheat, you put one leg out and you would you run. It's cheating, but you, you, you can't move. You're not ready for action. Whereas Peter's saying, gird up your loins, because in the ancient world, when they would go and getting ready for battle, they'd have, you know, a long outfit on that would go down to their ankles. And guess what? When you're in battle and you've got this skirt on, it's, it's, you're not going to be able to fight real well. And so as they're getting ready for battle, they would they'd roll it up. They roll it up and they tuck it in their belt and they'd be ready for the battle. See, Peter's saying, gird up your loins. It's, you're in a battle. Knowing the end of the story shapes our actions today. See, we can have good intentions, can't we? We can have good intentions to think we're going to reflect on the Word of God. We can have good intentions to go, you know, I might join a life group. We can have good intentions to put ourselves in places where we'll grow, but good intentions don't lead to anything. We are in a battle. It's a battle. It's not something passive that we sit back, but we need to remember, therefore, get ready. Get ready. It's, 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 it's about your mind. Get ready with your mind alert. Now, now often we, sometimes, we think we're helping. We say to kids, don't do this. Or we might say, don't get drunk. Don't steal. And often what we're doing is we're speaking to the action, not to the mind. See, Peter here is very clear. He's saying he's speaking to the mind. Get your mind ready. Get it clear. Think about it. Because see, right thinking informs right desires. See, often what we try to do is we try to do behavior modification with children. Often in a church, sometimes we'll try and do behavior modification by saying, don't do this, do that, don't do this, when we never speak to the mind, to transform the mind. It's a battle of the mind. So gird up your loins. And how do we do that? Well, it's gird up your loins, but we also have sober thinking. It's, it's, you say that? Be sober. Fully sober. It's clarity of thought. It's not being naive about the environment that you live in. It's balanced. It's self-controlled. It's being realistic and of clear mind. It is to have your full attention on Jesus. See, when someone is drunk... Their thinking is impaired. They're not thinking clearly. Their actions are wrong. They walk, you know, you see it on American TV where they, they check someone out. They get them out of the car and if they're drunk, they get them to walk on a steady line. Why? To see how they are. See, someone who is drunk is unable to govern one's actions. 
They can't think clearly. But see, it, it, it's more than that, because see, the opposite to sober is, it's anger. It's slander. The opposite of being sober is greedy. See, when, you, when, when you've got hot under the collar, or when you've lost the kids, or when you've got angry, have you ever realised you weren't thinking clearly? Or about greed. Greed makes us do unwise decisions, right? So if we're greedy, you know, oh, I want the next iPhone. No, I want the next i the i7 iWatch that's just come out. You want it and you're greedy, and so you go and max out your credit card when really you actually can't afford it. Do you see how, how greed affects our action? It affects the clarity of our, our thought. It does many things to us. Prepare your minds for action. Being be intentional on setting your eyes and your thoughts on Jesus. It's, it's the idea of being sober and to be alert. It's a bit like a sponge. You're, you're to absorb Jesus. You're to absorb this good news of him. I was washing the car a couple of weeks ago because I've realized in Sydney, your car, well, I've come from the country. Yes, your cars get dirty with mud in the country, but in the city, they get all the smog, they get all this black stuff, and you've got to wash them. And so last couple of weeks ago, I was out washing the car, and I had a sponge, and I love a sponge that's full of water, and you wring it out because it soaks the water. Or what I like to do is, is afterwards, you know, the sponge is full of water, and you sit it on the, on the concrete, and you put your foot on the sponge, and you push all the water out and it all goes out, but then I love letting my foot off the sponge, because what it does, is the sponge comes out and it sucks the water back up. See, what Peter's saying is, is knowing the end of the story shapes our actions for today, and because of that, you know, you need to absorb. We need to have clarity of thought. Let's absorb Jesus. See, at, at Toon Gabby, we, we want to be people who worship God correctly. We want to be people who have attuned hearts towards Him of deep repentance and faith, faith of prayer and praise. We want to be like that. Set your hope fully on Christ. If you want to know the end of the story, set your hope fully on Christ. See, you know, in a way, the 1st of December is sort of like, it's not D-Day, but it's like this, this day that we go, oh, wow, we're looking forward to it. Even though it's tough right now, there's restrictions and there's things that are in place. And yet, in the midst of that, knowing that the 1st of December is coming, it helps you face and, and it helps you shape your words and your choice of things today in the midst of that suffering. Because you know it's going to be okay. Because you know the end of the story shapes our actions today. But let me just tell you, tell you this thought. See, the 1st of December is nothing in comparison. It is nothing in comparison to the, fully, the full hope that we have in Jesus' return. See, if we're placing a little bit of hope in the 1st of December, Peter says, no, 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 your hope is to be fully in Christ. Jesus is our living hope. See, in the middle of suffering and trials, what happens? It's, what happens when our hope is in Jesus? Well, it, it means that we, we want to be deliberately active. We have to be deliberate in our actions. We, we want to saturate ourselves with the gospel. But not only that, too, secondly, we want to be holy. Be holy. See, in this point, it's how, you, how do we relate to God and to the world around us. Have a look at verse 15. 
But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Four times in the book of Leviticus, this is said about God being holy. But what is holiness? Well, holiness is separateness. It's set apart. See, when God said to Israel, I am holy, he is saying, I am separate to you. I am different to you. I am distinct from everything else in this world. He alone is an uncreated being. He is it. He is separate to everything else. And everything that God does is for his glory. And nothing unclean can come into his presence. Be holy because I am holy. But why does this matter? Why do we be holy because he is holy? Why are we to be set apart from the world? You are set apart from the world by God through the work of him. Check out last week's verse, of verse 2. Go back to verse 2 of chapter 1. So you're saying be holy here, which is set apart, separate. In, in verse 2, he says, who, who he's talking to us, he says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through what? The sanctifying. See, that's holy. Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. See, the triune God has set you apart through Jesus, through the work of the Spirit. We have been set apart for God. He has set us apart. See, how you conduct yourself this week with the words you choose and the actions you reveal will show the world who you're dedicated to. To be holy is to, to, be holy is to conform your thinking to the character of God. To be holy is is to conform your thoughts to who God is and not to be conformed to the pattern and the thinking of this world. Did you notice that in verse 14? Have a look. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Do not conform yourself to the passions of this world. Because you are set apart, look to God know it see the mistake i think sometimes as christians that we can make when we think about being holy and being separate is that we make it all about the action and we think we're holy because we don't do this don't do that and it seems like but hang on what's going on there no, no, that's not what it means to be holy see but to be holy it is to be set apart but often we just leave it with the actions but our mind is never conformed to the character of god See, it's actually as our mind is conformed to the character of God, we know what it means to live how he wants us to live so that then that shapes our actions. Because see, to live holy life, it's, it's to want what is good. And God knows what is good because he is good. His character is good. And so as we conform ourselves to his character, that is going to shape our lives, which means we are set apart. We are separate. See, the grace we have received in the gospel drives our holiness and our actions.
and therefore we conduct ourselves with gratitude. Because God is holy, because God is holy, we have reverent fear of God. Did you notice that in verse 17? Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as exiles, foreigners, here in reverent fear. We know this isn't our home. But live it out with reverent fear of God. Because we have reverent fear because we know the holiness of God. And as we understand the holiness of God, and as we conform our, our thinking to the character of God, it shapes our actions for today. See, reverent fear of God will be shown in obedience and action towards God today. So we love to talk about a God who loves. He is love. We love to talk about a God who is gracious and merciful and compassionate. But I wonder how often we reflect on a God who is also a judge. So it's, how are you going to act now? He's a God who will judge. And if you know who you are, act out who you are. I wonder as you look back, as you look back over the last six months, as you look back over your actions, I wonder as you look back over your attitudes during lockdown, does it reveal a reverent awe of God and His Word or a reverent awe and fear of others or a reverent awe of yourself? See, when our, when our identity is tied up in people liking us, we allow our minds and our thoughts to be conformed to what they think, not to the character of God. When we allow ourselves to go, it matters what people think of me and how I, I act. Or it matters to me that I have to say yes to everyone because they might think differently of me. Guess what we're doing? In those moments we're conforming, we have fear of man. We have fear of people, not fear of God. We have a reverent awe of them and, and going, you, you matter and your opinion matters to me, rather than going, actually know the holy God who created the universe matters. Why does this matter? Why do we need to gird up our loins why does it matter to have reverent fear? Why does it matter to be holy? Because God is holy. But also there's a voice raging within us. There's a voice in us that tells us it's okay if I get a little bit angry. Because it doesn't make a big difference. You know, it's, it's, it's okay for me to be a bit annoyed with my, my wife or my husband and to get annoyed with them because it's, 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 it won't make much difference. There's, there's, there's a voice telling you, surely it's okay if I just overlook these government restrictions. I, I, I know a bit of a white lie, but it will mean I get more back on my tax and surely I can give it to the church. There's a voice in us telling you, it's okay. It's okay for me to go a little bit further with my girlfriend on my parents' couch. It won't make much of a difference in the long run. And the reason we think our sin is okay or we think that those things really don't matter or we don't think it's a big deal is because we've lost an awe and a recognition of the holiness of God. 
We have lost sight of the holiness of God and we have diminished and weakened down the reality of our own personal sin. We don't think our sin is that bad. But knowing the end of the story shapes our actions today. See, it's not the depth of your allegiance to Christ that brings us home. It's not the depth of our outward good looking behavior that saves you. It's, it's not the commitment you've shown to the church for the last 20 years that will do any of it for you. But it's the precious blood of Jesus. Why is it important? Why is it important for us to go, no, those things do matter, rather than going, oh, that's only little. Why does it matter? Why is it so important to us to be really real about our sin and our actions? It's important because when you realize the price of what it took to set you apart and to cleanse you and to bring you into right relationship with God, it changes how you act today. And that's what Peter does here, see? Why is it important? Because your sin is not small. It's not a $5 bill that you need to fix up. It's not something that the God of this universe can just overlook. Look at the price. Look at the price paid for you in verse 18 and verse 19. See, the four there tells you four. The reason you have reverent awe is for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You weren't redeemed with silver or gold or with cash. What were you redeemed from the empty way of life? Your previous life before Christ changed it, before you've been set apart, it was empty and futile. It had no worth and it was handed down from generation to generation to generation. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, you've been redeemed. That the holy God... That the most holy, the God who is truly holy, came and he died so that you could be holy. No one else could do it. And yet, the blood of Christ purchased you. That the God of the universe gave up his heavenly palace to come down and to shed his blood. See, we were not per purchased with perishable things. We're not perish purchased with, you know, silver or gold. But we were purchased by the blood of Christ. And when we go deeper and understand the depths of the holiness of God, it will reveal the depths and the depravity of our sin that we go, wow, knowing what we have shapes how we act today. I wonder if you were more alert to the gospel and the price paid, would it change how you act? Because if you were alert, it would. the more alert you are, it, it, it could change how you attend church. You may think, oh, one in four, you, you might go, but, but as you grow in depth of understanding the cost and the price, you may go, you know what, the best place to be is in church on a Sunday. It would change how you view your commitments. It would change how you viewed loving others. See, the more alert we are to the good news of Jesus Christ, the more you bathe yourself and soak yourself in this grace and the glory of Christ, it will overflow in how we act. It will change your commitment levels at church. It will change how important the Sunday gathering is. It will change how you planned your calendar during the week. 
It will overflow in the choices of TV shows you will choose to watch and what you'll choose not to watch. It will overflow in your jobs. It will overflow in how you view the government. It will overflow in how you view your brothers and sisters in Christ. It will overflow into every aspect as we grip with the holiness of God and what he's done for us. And we will conduct ourselves with gratitude and thanksgiving. Because see, the gospel is not plan B. Did you notice that? The gospel has never been plan B. It's not an afterthought of God. But as one commentator said, God knew the complete program of redemption before the creation, before the foundation of the world. That should lead us to awe of God, reverent fear. Because knowing the end of the story shapes our actions today. See, what Peter does, he now moves from how we relate to the world to how we relate to one another. And he, and he moves to loving one another. How do we relate to one another? Well, verse 22, have a look at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply. Love one another deeply from the heart. It changes how we love each other. Now, Peter's not saying that you obey and do this obedience so that you're saved. No, no, what, Paul, what Peter's not Paul, what Peter's saying is, he's saying, the more alert to the gospel of Jesus Christ you are, you'll apply it to your life. So being obedient to the gospel is, is you will think to yourself next time, Next time you're getting annoyed at the checkout and they're taking the time or you might be, oh, they're so incompetent or they should have done it this way and they've been so angry to me. Obedient to the truth is next time you will think, okay, how do I apply the gospel to how I act in this moment? As, as your kids won't go to bed and they haven't gone to bed and you want to storm down the, 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 the hallway making sure they know that you're coming, Think about how will I talk in this moment in line with the gospel? How will the gospel in this moment shape my, my, my language? How will it shape my, my actions? And here we see that it doesn't only shape how you relate to your family, but it, well, actually it shapes your bigger family, the church family. It shapes how you love one another deeply. See, the context, it's in the church. It's your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love them dearly. Now, suffering, trials, stress, when we're under pressure, it stretches relationships. It's when things start to heat up, when trials start to prevail, when suffering is happening. It's, it's in those moments when we start to get snappy with each other. See, Peter, he's writing to these churches in, in minor Asia, in modern-day Turkey, that are, that are suffering. They're probably going to get persecuted. In a few years' time, Nero, the emperor, would persecute Christians. He would, he would soak them in tar, and he would, light, you know, he would light the Christians up, and they would be their lights for his garden parties. 
See, Peter, he's writing to, to Christians who are going to soon experience some things like that, possibly. And it's in those moments, isn't it, as we get under the stress, it's in those moments we get, we get snappy with each other. It's in those moments we may say things that we regret. But let's love one another deeply from the heart. You know, we, we, we know in, in a marriage, you know, when things get a bit stressful, it's often in those moments things get said. Let's love one another deeply. See, next Sunday, next Sunday we're going we're to start to restretch. We're going to open up and people can come back in person. But the reality is it's going to be messy. It's going to be awkward. It's not going to be exactly how everyone may have wanted it to happen. Everyone's going to have, you know, we should have done this, we should have done that. It's, it is going to be messy and awkward. And, and, and let's be real, there's, there's going to be people who are vaccinated. There's going to be people who have chosen not to get vaccinated. But we've been set apart to be holy. We know the end of the story. So knowing the end of the story shapes our actions today. And so in those moments, we love one another deeply. We're united together. Because we, we, we love each other. And have a look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore... Rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, it's really interesting what Peter's talking about. That they're all things that damage relationships. They're all things that affect our relationship with one another. See, malice. Malice is it's, it's ill will. It's, it's evil. It's, it's, it's evil to intend towards someone else. It's, there's deceit. It's, it's, it's lying or it's an avoidance of the truth to avoid the consequences of truth. You know, it's a bit of a, like, you know, oh, you know you shouldn't be doing it, but you'll deceive people to, to get around it so you don't have to admit that you've done something wrong. Hypocrisy, it's the, it's the inner life is different to the outer life. Your outer actions are different to what's going on inside. Envy is, is that we can come to church and we can, we can compare yourself to others. You get jealous of what they have or the choices they've made. And so what we might do is we might use sarcasm to sort of to bring some humor to the situation. But really we're using sarcasm to, to tear that person down a little bit so that you feel better about the actions you've made. Slander, it's... Slander is devastating to churches because it's, it's lies about other people. It's things that are not true, but they're used to make that person feel better so that they feel justified in what they've done. And, and Peter says, throw those actions off. As we come back next, let's throw those off. Let's, let's be people who, who love one another deeply. We are to throw it off. See, what he says is put it off. Rid yourself. It's like taking a piece of soiled, dirty clothes off. It's throw it off. Get rid of it. I, um, I've got shirts in the cupboard from, you know, centuries ago. You know, I, I collect all my, I keep all my t-shirts and all my collared shirts. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but I, I love some of my t-shirts. You know, 
I could have worn them for 10 years and they're still comfortable. And, and, and I don't know about you, but my t-shirts have this progression. They start off, you know, I start wearing them out everywhere and they slowly progress, but I still keep wearing them. I wear them to Bunnings and, and they progress to these shirts I still love, but they're starting to get holes in them. They start to get paint on them. They start to get grease spots from a, a drip from a meat pie. You know, they get soiled and dirty. And yet, over time, I just love these t-shirts and I keep wearing them. And before long, I've, I don't notice they've got holes in them. I don't notice they're soiled. And my beautiful wife will say, why are you wearing that? That's got holes in it everywhere. That's dirty. And, and she'll say, can I throw it out? No, you can't throw that t-shirt. It's my best. I'm comfortable in it. I, I, I can't see the holes in the back and the rips in the side. I've just sort of got used to it. And sometimes I think as Christians, we, we are blind to our own holes and spoils and dirts. We, 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 we forget that they're there and we become used to it. But Peter says, throw it off. Throw it off. And often we need our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us see that. Throw it off. But notice the solution isn't that Peter comes here and he gives us all these words and then he flips them the opposite way and gives us more words and says, hey, go and do the opposite. But instead, Peter says, crave the good stuff. Straight away, he says, look at verse 2, this is point 4. Crave the good stuff. Knowing the end of the story shapes your actions for today. And because we know that, we crave the, the good stuff. Look at verse 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do you crave the holiness of God? Do you, do you long to know with greater depth the beauty and the wonder of the gospel that is Jesus Christ? Do you crave it like a newborn child? I remember when our first, our first child was born, I didn't realize you know, how often they would want to drink milk, right? Every two hours or every three or four, it's like... And you know they're wanting milk because they're crying. And so then they get the milk. And, they, and, they, and it takes like 40 minutes to feed them when they're first born. It's like, oh, man. And then, you know, you put them to sleep. They go to sleep and everything's good. And then all of a sudden, bam, wah, wah, you know that they're craving that milk. They, they want it. Are you craving like that? Are you craving the, the need for God's word? Are you loving it? I want to speak to, to, to the women and I want, to, I want to speak to the men for a moment. As women, um, men aren't good at this. Like women, women are really good at sharing their emotions. They're really good at sharing their feelings and how life's going and everything. Is, you know, like they're good at that. Whereas men, we aren't so good to exactly share how we're really feeling on inside. And sometimes the danger for you as women is that in your life groups or in your Bible studies, what can happen is that that, that drives what you crave. Sometimes that can drive what you want to have friendship for. But may we be, may you be women who, who crave the holiness of God together, who yearn to get deep in the scriptures so that you know who God is and you know the good news of Jesus Christ.
men, you know, as you you know, you, you may not want to share your feelings as much, but you know, we we often are competitive, or we we want to compete with each other, even in a room, or we'll talk about stuff, or how big a fish I caught, or this or that, and, and and we can get together to read the Bible, but yet it's like a competition, and yet. Do we crave together for the holiness of God? Do we look to each other and go, hey, let's crave in this moment to know the character of God so that it shapes our actions for today? Because we're good, aren't we, at finding excuses? Do you crave to know that you've been delivered from the dominion of darkness into the, the, the kingdom of his son? Do you crave to know the beauty and the wonder of that? Crave the good stuff. There's always excuses. We can always come up with them. I come up with them. You know, I got home from work and I'm tired. The house is not clean. The kids are a bit restless, so I'll just, I'll just tap out tonight and I won't join a life group. Or, or maybe your family is just in a real trial of time and it's really, really messy and it's just like, oh, it's too overwhelming. But see, knowing the end of the story shapes our actions today, which goes, you know what, yeah, I know this, but you know what, I'm going to crave this spiritual food. I know what's good for me in this moment. See, craving is you will do whatever you can do to put yourself in a place for that to happen. And it may mean you have to meet online. It, it may mean that there will be uncomfortable moments that you'll have to put yourself in because you know that craving spiritual food is the best thing for you right now. See, if you've tasted that the Lord is good. See, what Peter's saying, have you tasted that the Lord is good? And he's saying, of course you've tasted that the Lord is good. You've received this salvation. You have this living hope. Look what you have in Christ Jesus. He's just spent nearly all of chapter 1 and the first 12 verses, verses saying, look what you have as a Christian. If you've tasted anything of that, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, crave more of it. Go for more. It makes whatever circumstance you may feel overwhelmed with right now seem fleeting and, moment, and, and like a moment. I am. Um, since moving to Sydney, I, I like tasting food, and I've come across Frango's chicken. And I remember the first time we got Frango's chicken takeaway and got a Frango's chook. We got the garlic sauce, we got the chilli sauce, and I put the garlic and the chilli on the plate, and I just ate this chook. Well, I probably ate most of it. And I tasted it, and it was so good. It was so good that I just can't get enough of it. I can't wait till we go back again. I can't wait till we go back again and get the garlic sauce and the chilli and eat frangos again. It's just, I want to go back for more and more and more and more. Whereas going back to frangos week in, day out, week out will probably give me a coronary heart attack. Craving spiritual food, craving the holiness of God is life. It's amazing. See, knowing the end of the story shapes how you act today. It's deliberate action, isn't it? It's, it's deliberate action that is fixed fully on the end story. It's fixed fully on the Lord Jesus Christ and the living hope we have in him. But not only because we're fixed on that, we are to be holy. We are to live out who we are. 
We are set apart. Let's soak ourselves in the holiness of God so that we know and let that transform our minds so that it transforms our actions and we stand out. Knowing the end of the story also means that we love one another so deeply that we'll throw off all those things that Peter talks about. But it also means we'll crave the good stuff. We'll crave it. We'll go for it. We'll want more of it. See, knowing how the story ends shapes our actions today. Knowing how the story ends shapes our actions this week. As you go out this week into your workforce and you are confronted with an ethical dilemma of should I do this or should I not? Reflect on the gospel and let the gospel shape those actions that come out next. As you, as you, 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 you raise kids this week and they may be getting under your goat, think about how does the gospel speak into this moment so that I let the gospel shape the words that I use? As you may sit maybe in a hospital ward sick or getting treatment, reflect on the gospel and think, how does the gospel affect how I shape and act with my words and my actions today? We have a great God. Let's crave him and let, let us know the end so that it shapes our actions today. Amen.